Good morning, church family. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Turn to your other neighbor and say, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Fantastic. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And many of you have been asking me, um, you know, have you gotten a haircut recently? And I, uh, I tell you that yesterday afternoon I fell asleep and uh, all of a sudden I woke up and all my hair was gone. And so now you can just call me Samson. And my beautiful wife, you can call Delilah. Okay. Because she cut my hair yesterday. Okay. All right. So I like to be nice and cool for the summer. Um, 40 days of prayer ended this morning. How many of you have been just blessed by 40 days of prayer as we as a church family gathered together? You know, yesterday morning, we, you know, in my prayer time, um, it just is amazing how the Lord Jesus Christ in his Olivet Discourse said, and this gospel, this gospel must be preached to all nations. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all nations as a testimony. And then the end will come. And so our mission is an urgent mission. It is the urgency of God to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with all the world. Okay, And then today, this morning, it was the culmination of the kingdom. Culmination that God will bring to its proper end this age. And this, that time is coming. We're closer today than we were yesterday to the culmination of God's kingdom and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my question for all of us is, are we ready? Are we ready for Jesus? Do we say with the revelator John, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, come. So that is the heartbeat of our church, that we will be found ready, at work, doing the work of the kingdom when our Lord Jesus comes back. So in Ephesians 4, we're picking back up, uh, and uh, I'm so excited. Pastor Jesse was supposed to preach this morning, uh, but he has come under the weather this week and asked me to, to fill in for him. And he said, do you think you have something to, to preach on? I said, oh, I always do. And uh, it's always good to be here in the house of the Lord to preach God's word. And um, so Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 7. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 1135. Of course, I ask you to bring your own copy of God's word with you. Why? Because it's your word. It's the, it's the word of God, and you need to engage it, not just on Sunday morning, but every single day. Day, and we'll talk about that as we go. So if you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of God's word. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That was our memory verse for today. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now, some of you may recognize that particular verse was what Jeremy read in Psalm 68, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And then in verse 9, it begins a parenthetical. Uh, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens uh, in order to fill the whole universe. End parentheses. Verse 11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, 
some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father, this is your word. Lord, Paul wrote these words to that church in Ephesus, but they are jam-packed with application for Ashley River Baptist Church today. May the truth of your word penetrate our hearts and mobilize us into action that we might be servants of the Most High, Jesus Christ, to this community, to this state, to the world, because that is your heart. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as I think about this, there are really three motivations that I was able to pick out here from this passage of Scripture. Three motivations for the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We make up the portion of the body of Christ called Ashley River Baptist Church. If you are a member here, that means that you have confessed Jesus as Lord and you've been baptized into the uh, fellowship here and you're a member. You are a member of our church. And so what that means is, is that we have work to do. All of us have work to do. And so we are a local body. I want us to see here that last week we emphasized in the first six verses of this particular chapter the unity of Christ or the unification of Christ, that we are one. And you'll see in verse 4 there, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. The sevenfold declaration of the oneness of the church. And so we see that we are one. But then he says in verse 7, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. So now we see that we are many members or many parts of the body. So the body is one, but there are many parts. Well, it's interesting. The parallel here to the Trinity is very palpable. Think about it. God is one in essence. Father, Son, and Spirit are one in essence. But they are three in person. They have three, there's three persons and they all have different functions, different roles. Well, it's the same as the Church of Jesus Christ. We are one in essence. We are one under the headship of Jesus Christ. But to each one of us, Every one of you sitting out there this morning has been gifted by Christ. Did you know that? You have a gift, and God has given you that gift to use for the common good of the body of Christ here at Ashley River Baptist Church. 
We see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says, in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Did you know that you belong to everyone else in this room? Did you know that? That you have committed yourself to becoming part of this body, and now it's, it's important that you recognize you belong to the rest of us. I belong to you, you belong to me. We all have a relationship. We're now a family. We are now a family. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And through all it, though all its parts are many, they form one body. You see, and that's what Paul is driving home. So Christ is the giver of gifts. And then we see here at the end of uh, verse 7 and beginning of verse 8, it says, that's why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. So if we were to do Bible study this morning, we would say, okay, that is a quote from the Old Testament. And of course, Jeremy read from it this morning. It's Psalm 68. It, Psalm 68 was written by David. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the context of that psalm? What is the historical meaning behind what is written in that psalm? And why is Paul quoting it here? This is a good question for any good Bible student to do. And so when we do that, we, we sit there and we go, okay, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Most scholars would say that Psalm 68 is a triumphal psalm. It is a triumphant psalm, and many believe that it refers back to when David was able to rescue the ark back from the Philistines and brings it back into Mount Zion, into Jerusalem, and he danced in order to celebrate. It was a triumphal psalm. And therefore, what's happening is the, the ark is being brought back to the place where God had called the Israelite people to come. And it is the same way in which the church was established for us to then become the representation of God to the world. And we see that he quotes this psalm beautifully. It's kind of akin to Matthew chapter 12. And of course you have in your notes that you can go to these various places and look at the scriptures. But in Matthew chapter 12, it's very interesting. Jesus is being kind of accused of being a demon actually, by the religious leaders, if you can believe it. And he says, no, if a house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, incidentally, Abraham Lincoln also said that at the Gettysburg Address. But he says, he's quoting the scripture, see, and Jesus himself said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A church divided against itself cannot stand. In other words, Jesus is saying, if I cast out demons, then who do you cast them out by? But then he says this, who? How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. So who is this strong man that Jesus is referring to? Well, it's none other than Satan. What is the house of Satan? It's this world. You understand that this world, Jesus is, I mean, Satan is the kingdom of the power of the air. He is the ruler of this world, the prince of this age. And so Jesus is saying, Satan is this strong man, but somebody has to come and bind him, tie him up, so that we can come in 
and carry away the prisoners that Satan has. It's a beautiful picture. And it's kind of like we, the church, are on mission. We're like a SWAT team. And we're going to go in and we're going to go into this world, into Satan's domain, into his house, and we are going to carry off his captives. People who are shackled by sin and death and hell. And we're going to rescue them. And that's the whole point of this message in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is saying that's the mission of the church. And so how did I bind Satan? By dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He is now bound. Now go and rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. And that is our mission. And that is what Jesus is referring to here. That's why he's given us these gifts. Well, then we come to this part in verse 9, which is parenthetical. And it says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended? To the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens. So what's this referring to? I know some people think that this means that Jesus went down into hell to preach to the spirits in, in hell. That's not really what this scripture says. Because I don't see the word hell, Gehenna, in the Greek, nor do I see Hades, the place of the dead, in the Greek, in this particular passage. No, it's simply this. He descended, the word descended means he stepped down. Does that make sense? Jesus came from heaven and he stepped down into this world. To step down means he descended into the, onto the earth. This is his incarnation, his first coming, when he was a baby, born in a manger. See? And when Jesus stepped down, he came to do what we could not do for ourselves. And that was to offer himself as a sinless sacrifice. See, none of us is, is sinless. And so therefore, we could not do what God required, which was to have a perfect sacrifice pay the price for our sin. And so we then become these, these vessels by which Christ died for us, you see. And so he stepped down, means he descended into earth. And then, of course, when he ascended, we all know that he ascended before all of his disciples. Okay? In Matthew chapter 28, and he ascended back to heaven. Now, what's he doing in heaven? He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and for me. And so we see here, the first motivation really is the gift, the giver. Jesus Christ is the one who apportions gifts to us. The second motivation is the gifts themselves. Look at, look at these next few verses. It says there in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, it's interesting. These are all people. They are functions. They are roles. They are titles. The apostles, these are all speaking gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it actually says this. Um, each of us should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And so if we think about the giftedness of God, that is given to all believers. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. It's either a speaking gift or it's a serving gift. 
That's what First Peter does. It's a categ- he categorizes them as either speaking or, or serving. And so going back to Ephesians 4 here, we're looking at all of the speaking gifts and those who are speakers of the good news. Look at the apostles first and foremost. The apostles are, there were only 12 of them. Jesus appointed apostles. All followers are disciples. Not all disciples are apostles. Does that make sense? There are 12 apostles that Jesus appointed. Of course, Judas fell away. And then in Acts chapter 1, we see that the the disciples, the apostles, all got together and they said, we need to find somebody who meets this qualification, that they were an eyewitness to the earthly testimony and ministry of Jesus Christ from the baptism of John the Baptist all all the way up until and including his resurrection from the dead. And so that is the qualification of an apostle. Now, we know that Paul then later calls himself an apostle. Now, how could he do that? Because he saw the resurrected Lord who said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In other words, why would he say you're persecuting me? Paul was just persecuting the members of the church. But believe me, Jesus is the head of the church. And so therefore, if you persecute the church, you are persecuting Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul then calls himself an apostle. So those are the apostles. There are no apostles today because those apostles were appointed specifically by Christ and they held those qualifications. The second group is the prophets. Now a prophet, many of us think of a prophet as somebody who predicts the future. And there are prophets in the Old Testament who predicted the future. But the main purpose of a prophet, the main function, is for them to speak the very words of God to God's people. And that's what a prophet does. And so these prophets, you know, the last prophet moving into the New Testament really was John the Baptist before Christ came. Okay, he was a prophet. He was the one who prepared the way for the one coming after him. And so we see prophets. We see prophets all through the Old Testament. Those of us who read the prophets understand that there's historical precedent for why they were called by God to speak to the people. Okay. The third group is evangelists. And we see in the early church, Philip the evangelist, he went on to the uh, road and he met that Ethiopian eunuch and he preached the gospel to him. There are evangelists today, there are evangelists in every generation who preach the word, who uh, share the gospel to masses of people and God uses them in a very powerful way. And then we get to the fourth office here is the pastor and teacher. And let me just say this for a few moments. As a pastor, this really means a lot to me. And I correlate it to 1 Peter chapter 5, where it calls a pastor, which is the Greek word poimen, okay, poimen, and it, it literally means shepherd. That's what a pastor is, is a shepherd. And what is the church? The members of the church are the flock of God. They, you are sheep, okay? So as a pastor, I am a shepherd. But guess what? I have a chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus Christ. I submit to Jesus because he is my chief shepherd. And that's declared for us in 1 Peter chapter 5. And so as I am following the chief shepherd, then I, as the pastor of this church, the sheep follow me. To the extent that I am following Christ, it's to that extent that our church is walking in the will of God. And that's important for all of us. And it says here that we are pastors and teachers. Notice it doesn't say, and some teachers. It says pastors and teachers. 
And so in the next few months, I'm going to be sitting down with all of the Sunday school teachers and talking to them about how we can help every single member of our church come into a deeper relationship with the Word of God. Because here's the key. It's not enough for me to stand up here and preach on Sunday morning and that be enough for you to get through the week. Uh, the earlier, ver the earlier uh, hymn that we sang, Breathe, this is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Every word is spoken by you. The idea is, is that this word of God needs to be your daily bread. Now my job is to teach it in a way that you can learn on your own how to dig further into the Word of God. And we'll say that in a few minutes. Okay? So now we ask ourselves, what are the gifts? There's a ton of them. <laughs> the point is, is that we are responsible to find out what our spiritual gift is from the Lord and then to use it for the common good of the church. Does that make sense to everybody? And so if we recognize this, then all spiritual gifts are given for the common good. That is why isolation away from the church is not a good thing for a Christian. You know, in our culture today, a lot of people think, well, I can worship God at home. I can worship God away from the body. And COVID kind of facilitated this to the point where a lot of people just never returned. I think that's very dangerous because here's the point, and I made it earlier. You're not your own now. You're part of the body of Christ. You realize that there are people that are coming into this church who need your spiritual gift in their lives. Do you realize that? Do you realize that as we come here to worship on Sunday morning, there are people who need you to speak into their lives. And oh, by the way, you need others to speak into your life. And if we get this, if we get what really it is all about to be part of a church community, then we will so be unified by the Holy Spirit. Something powerful and unbelievable will happen here in our midst. So my challenge to all of us is to never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now I'm preaching to the choir here, right? <laughs> You're all here, okay? But how many times have we said, oh, it's a little cold today. Oh, I've got to go out to the beach today. Oh, it's been a busy week. I can't. Let me tell you, those are days when maybe God can use your spiritual gift for the edification of others in the body. All spiritual gifts serve each other, and all spiritual gifts are equally important. Let me name some of them, and most of it is found in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, here in Ephesians 4, and then again what I just read in 1 Peter 4. Those are the four main passages of the spiritual gifts, and they are in this order. Prophecy, teaching, serving, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, Miracles, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, and administration. 
Okay, so those are all the gifts that are listed in those passages of Scripture that I just mentioned. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And if you think about it, there was a lot of misunderstanding about these gifts in the New Testament. Paul addresses tongues and speaking in tongues in three chapters of 1 Corinthians, but he doesn't mention it elsewhere in any of his other letters. It clearly was an issue that was specific to the Corinthian church and how they were misusing that gift. It is nevertheless a gift, but it is one for going to a place, learning a language, and being able to speak in their language the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so no spiritual gift is required for salvation because it's endowed by you to you from Christ after you are saved. And then finally, spiritual gifts should not be confused with talents or skills that you are born with. It's different. Spiritual gifts are for those who are in the body of Christ. And so we see the result, as he says here, all of God's people, the, the teachers, the pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until what? We all reach unity in the faith and then, bec- and then in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so if we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, then we get to the third motivation, which is Growth. Growth. We have the giver, we have the gifts, and now the growth. Look at what it says there in, at the end of verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and what? Become, what does it say? Mature. Become mature. You see, understand that God is designed for you is to become more and more and more mature in the faith. And all of us have this uh, drive within us. Now, that's made up of two key aspects. Maturity is made up of two key aspects. The first is doctrinal stability. Doctrinal stability. Look at what it says there in verse 14. Then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Do you know how many false teachings and false doctrines are in the world today? Do you realize how many podcasters that you may be listening to who are not clinging directly to the word of God, they are somehow distorting it, using, as it says in this passage, cunning and craftiness of men. They're distorting the word of God. Paul dealt with this in Galatia, the church of Galatians. He literally wrote Galatians. He says, I don't know why you're following a different gospel than the one I presented to you. It happened in Paul's day. Well, guess what? It's happening in today's world. And here's the only thing I will say to you, that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of each of us uses the word of God to transform the child of God into the image of the Son of God. Now, there's only one way to do that, and it's not an easy button. It's not a way for you to get the secret door that gets you to the end of the escape room. No, the way that the word of God is written and that it requires diligence, lifelong pursuit of the truth of God. It's not easy. It requires work. And I know that every day I wake up and I have lots of things that I have on my agenda to do. I'm like you. I hit, I hit the... Uh, alarm when it comes on and I'm immediately on my phone and my phone is dictating to me how I'm going to spend my day 
And I get notification after notification after notification, and the world just happens to me. And I just become consumed by it. And if I don't stop and say, time out, priority number one is me being in God's word. Boy, if the church of Jesus Christ took this word seriously and diligently studied it every single day, and literally applied it to their lives every moment that your mind would be transformed by the renewing of Christ. You become a new person because your worldview would never be focused on the here and now. It would be focused on the eternal. It would be focused on the spiritual. God would use you in such powerful ways. He'll infuse you with his words that you'll speak tenderly, you'll speak kindly, you'll speak gentle, you'll love people that you didn't think you could love. You'd be able to let the Spirit have his way with you. But you can't do that if you just want to get a small dose day after day after day. I cannot emphasize this enough. It takes work. I've been studying this Bible for for 40 years now. When I became a believer at 17, God gave me the ability to go out on a ship at 19 years of age. And I spent six months in the belly of a ship, a merchant ship with 19 other people on it, all heathens. But I would go into my room every single night and I would read this word. I would study it. I would underline those key words. I would cross-reference back and forth. And then I'd come home after six months at sea and I'd go to the library at the academy and I would read historical books, history books, and I would read Daniel and I would read Ezekiel and I would be confirmed in the history that Daniel and Ezekiel were speaking of the same historical figures that I find in the civil, Western Civ uh, history books. And it fueled my faith. But I understand why Daniel and Ezekiel were writing those words. Because it had application. You see? And then when I became, I went to my second C year, I did the same thing. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I've been a Sunday school teacher since 1989. I study the word. And I teach it. And it comes out of me. But here's the key. Studying the word of God is like going through a house. You open up the front door. And then you go into that house. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit of an echo back. You go into this house and you go into the living area. And you kind of look around and you kind of notice some things. And then you go, oh, well, here's another door. Let me see what's this. And then you go into the living, I mean, the, the kitchen area. And then you look around and you say, oh, wow, that's interesting. There's a lot of things in the kitchen here. But there's this other door now. Let me go through this other door. And you think that this house is just a tiny little house that has maybe two or three bedrooms with a, ki- with a living room and a kitchen, maybe a dining room. And you go in and each door that you open opens you up to another room. I'm here to tell you that the word of God, Emory said it, sometimes you can't measure it. Folks, The house of the word of God has unlimited, unmeasurable square footage. You see, every time you walk through a door, it opens your eyes to something new. And there's never an end to the number of doors that you get to walk through. Here's what I think happened in the church. Most people got to the living room. 
They were saved. They entered the house. They sat down on the sofa. They turned on the television and they stopped searching the house. They got into the house. Congratulations. But there's so much more that God wants you to see in his word. I, I, I'm just convinced. I'm persuaded that this is the key to revival. Is that as we study the word of God, the Holy Spirit penetrates our hearts. And we're no longer infants. We're growing more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. The goal is for when Jesus sees you, he sees himself. Because through the life's challenges and tribulations and struggles, God's been refining you and drawing you closer to him and molding you more into the shape of Jesus Christ in your life. And then something amazing happens. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want that to be said to you when you see Jesus? Or do you think honestly Jesus would say, do you even know me? I know you, but do you know me? That's the emphasis of this passage. He says, stop being infants tossed back and forth by the waves. You know, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, the last letter that Paul would write to his protege, Timothy. Do you know what he said? He told young Timothy... He said, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and courage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time, listen to this. For the time will come. And it's here, folks. The time is here. In this generation, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Expositional preaching is what I try to do. I try to say, what does this text say? What is the historical and theological context of this text? And then I try to pull it out. Randy Disharoon has nothing to add. I'm a fallible man. I've got nothing to add to God's word. When I preach, I want to focus on the words of God because they're the only infallible part of my sermon. Y'all understand that? This is God's word. When are we going to come to the realization that that becomes the most valuable thing I own? I am going to spend the inordinate amount of time studying God's word because then and only then can I be more like my savior. That's our goal. That's our goal. That's why we entered into 40 days of prayer. Every day I put scripture in there to guide us, to help us to see God's heart. 
God's motive. And every one of us has the ability to read God's word. Because guess what? Your teacher is not a podcaster. Your teacher is not a YouTuber. Your teacher is not a devotional. Listen, all of these things are fine. Don't get me wrong. But if they substitute for the word of God, then we've got a problem. You all understand me. This is the word of God. And if you read it every day, God will speak to you and he will teach you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit who lives in you is your teacher. He is the teacher. He's perfect teacher. You see? And our goal has always been to not be tossed to and fro by the waves of every wind of teaching. Because if that's the case, then people will always wonder, what the heck is going on? Nobody really knows. But if you give your life to God in Christ, it will happen. False teaching and false doctrine leads to counterfeit gospel. Do you know how people who are taught how to identify counterfeit bills are taught? Does anybody know? Some of your bank tellers may know. You know what they do? They are taught week after week, month after month, how to study every single detail of a genuine bill. And they know every single thing about that genuine bill such that when a counterfeit bill comes across their desk, it, it's like the, the counterfeit image or something that was wrong with it jumps right off the bill to them. Here's the key. When you know the genuine word of God and you go to a church and you listen to a pastor or you watch it on YouTube or you read it in a podcast or a, or a, a blog or something, then you can say, that doesn't match up to this. That is counterfeit. This is real. This is the real deal. That is not, I don't know what that is. That's the way you know. I'm afraid too many Christians are just hanging on to whatever somebody else has to say because they seem to have some status. But no, the word of God is true. And so I really want to drive that home. Finally, not only doctrinal stability, but there is loving accountability. Look at what it says there uh, in verse 13. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Speaking the truth in love, there's loving accountability within the church. I want you to hold me accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable. We need to hold each other accountable to the word of God. That's what it is to be a part of a family. We're here to hold each other accountable. But it says speaking the truth in love. If you have truth but no love, it's brutality. If you have truth but no love, it's brutality. If you have love but no truth, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. We're just living a lie here. We want to love each other in such a way as we tell them the truth. Now, this really chafes against the modern culture, does it not? The modern culture wants to say, I have my own truth. Really? Who made you God of the universe? You see, God is the, the source of truth. He is truth, you see. And so he's given us his truth in the word of God. And if we know the truth, then we will be set free. Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. And whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. You want to be free this morning? You want to be free? Well, then read the Word of God. 
and it frees you. No longer do you have to be on the throne making all the judgments about your life. God's in control. He's the one that you submit to. He's the one that you give your life to. He's the one who guides you and leads you every which way. He is the great good shepherd. Speak the truth in love. Have you been built up? You built up because each part does its work. And we're all in this together. This sermon is meant for us to get motivated to say, I want to serve the church. If you're not in active service within Ashley River, here's the invitation to get involved. It's a way for you to say, Lord, I want to know my spiritual gift so that I can start using it to serve your people. And that's what my job is, is to equip you, to give you the, these tools and resources for you to be able to say, I want to serve God. And when you serve God, it is a powerful thing. God will use you in a mighty way, but most importantly, he'll start changing you from the inside out. He'll transform your life. We need each other. We need each other. So your gift will help someone else. In conclusion this morning, I want us to commit to Christ because he is the giver. He's the giver. He gave his life for us. Now give yourself in service to him. Number two, commit to serve. Commit to serve. Use your gift for his glory. And then finally, commit to grow. Become mature in the faith. Paul, over and over and over again in all his letters, says, you're like infants. You're like children. I can't teach you the deeper truths of the faith because you're infants. You're on spiritual milk. You need to get on the meat. How many of you want to be a meat eater today? You ready to eat the meat? This is the depth of the word of God. You'll never get to the bottom of it. But I promise you, the more you study it, the more Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. And it will open up your whole eyes to see the plan of God. And it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Are you all ready for that? Are you ready to commit to reading God's word every single day and studying it? Cross-referencing it? Using it as a tool for you to be brought into a deeper relationship with God? Yes. That's what you should desire. If you're a Christian here this morning, this should be your heart's desire. To draw closer to God, draw closer to one another, and use his gifts for his glory and his kingdom. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, your love letter to mankind. Oh Lord, compel us by your Holy Spirit to become mature in the faith to use our gifts for your glory, to commit to the head of the body, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend. Father, I thank you for this word today from Paul, that we might become the body of Christ that you desire for us to be here at Ashley River. May you be glorified in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we're going to be standing and singing this hymn. That's one of my favorite hymns, by the way. Uh, it is well with my soul. So whatever you're going through right now in your life, listen to the words of this song and let it really speak to your heart. If you want to become a member of this church, here's when you would respond. You come forward. You say, I want to join a church that's really going to teach the word of God and hold me accountable to becoming a part of the body of Christ. 
But then secondly, if you've never trusted Christ, this is your opportunity to come forward and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to finally make that decision because he is who he said he is. And maybe you're dealing with something right now in your life and you just need to go to the Lord in in quiet submission. This is your opportunity to pray right there in your pew to him. So let's stand. Let's sing this hymn of invitation. It is well with my soul.